So we're wrapping up this series called Soul Care. We've had a little bit of a, a break in between here, but basically throughout the summer we've been taking time and giving some space to sort of answer the question, how is my soul? And we sort of have done this because uh, the soul, or our soul, is the center of who we are as people. It's the core of who we are as people, and it includes our minds and our bodies, but it's, it's sort of that all-encompassing part of it. And so caring for our souls is just as important as caring for our minds and our bodies, but sometimes we don't typically uh, think about that. And so we've taken this time to sort of be reminded of some important truths, but not only that, we've had a few uh, guest speakers who helped remind us of some ways to practice some important truths and some, some important rhythms or habits that lead us towards health. And so hopefully throughout the series, you've sort of been reminded or sort of uh, been encouraged or sort of pointed towards health in some ways of your soul, that maybe some, some ways that God could help make you healthier uh, as a person. Um, but maybe also it's sort of shined a light on some of the areas of your life where you still notice that you're coming up short. And maybe you notice that there's still some things that you have to work on. Maybe there's some still some unhealthy things in your life that you sort of forget that you, you are accepted before you are achieved. Or maybe you, you forget that you can bring your anxiety to God and sometimes you just kind of keep it to yourself. Or, or maybe you don't have enough margin in your life and so there's some areas maybe that you need to continue to, to work on. Or maybe there's some habits that you need to add to your life. Um, Tim and Kevin, when they spoke, they both sort of talked about the scriptures and the importance of the scriptures and dwelling on the scriptures. So maybe some of you need to add that to your life to help become more spiritually uh, healthy in your souls. Or maybe in this season, um, you're sort of aware of how much you really do come up short, how much you don't measure up to your own standard, let alone God's standard. Or maybe you realize how much you've really messed up in, in the past, or maybe you feel like you're still messing up in some important ways in the present. Uh, maybe you even sort of feel like you've drifted away, or you sort of realize how you've drifted away from your relationship with God. And so I'm going to wrap up this series with an important message that I hope will sort of serve two purposes. It'll remind you, number one, that God still wants to use you. And I want to emphasize you specifically. Uh, it could be sort of the general you of the, the audience, but I want you to hear this specifically and personally to you. And then number two, I want you to still remember that God still has a mission for the world. So not only does God want to use you, but there's a mission that God wants to use you for in this helping this world around us. Um, as we kind of start, I think most of us could think of at least one big example of uh, an area of our life where we'd like to have a second chance, right? Anybody think of an area of your life where you wished you could have a second chance, where you sort of relive that opportunity or relive that situation. I would love to go back and have another opportunity to do that thing over again. I would love to have the opportunity to redo that conversation, right? That one big important conversation. I would love to have another chance to handle uh, some situation differently or some season of life differently. Um, some of you maybe even came to the Silicon Valley as sort of a new start, a fresh start, a second chance in your life. Um, some of us maybe took a new career or took a, a, a second career, a different career, as a way to sort of take some things that we learned from our first career and sort of maybe apply them into our second career, a second opportunity with a different company. And from what I hear, um, being grandparents is sort of like a second opportunity where you get to do some things with your grandkids that maybe you wished you would have done with your kids or vice versa, you don't do some things with your grandkids that you did do with your kids and you sort of get a second chance to do that. And it's sort of amazing, and we love the opportunity when we get a second chance, but the reality is in many ways in our lives, our culture, we don't necessarily embrace second chances, and we aren't necessarily given second chances um, like we maybe would like to or hope to. And we, we sort of want second chances for ourselves, but if we're honest, we don't always give second chances to other people along the way. 
And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that um, I think is one of the best examples of sort of the second chance idea. But it also has a little bit of a, a, a part that sort of pinpoints our hearts at times. That, that, again, this whole idea that we want second chances, but are we willing to give second chances? And God, thankfully, is a God of second chances. And he wants us to not only know that for ourselves, but he also wants us to go and do that for other people and to share his message of second chances as well. Um, and so hopefully you'll sort of be confronted and comforted by this idea of second chances and, God, and a God of second chances um, along the way. And so I want to ask you a couple questions. Are your souls healthy enough to be excited to join God in this mission of sharing second chances with other people? Are, are your souls actually healthy enough to partner with what God is doing in the world? And then secondly, uh, maybe the opposite of that, or do you sort of look at this mission that God has given us as sort of like going to the DMV? <laughs> it's something you just have to sort of do. I don't really want to do what he asks me to do, but I know that I sort of have to. And if the second is more the case for you, maybe there's still something in your heart. Maybe there's something in your soul that's not healthy, and, and maybe God can work on that today. So we're going to start reading in Jonah chapter 3. If you didn't know, that's one of the best second chance examples in the scriptures. Uh, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 3. You can follow along in the Bible app if you don't have the Bible app. Um, you can head to the Bible, uh, BibleApp.com, uh, Bible.com slash app, and you can get the app. Um, we'll have our notes there. Also, you can just follow along in the scriptures as well. We'll have them on the screen. Um, Jonah chapter 3 is, is really a great example of sort of the literary um, uh, genius of some of this writing, that there's some, some interesting parallels between chapter 1, the first three verses of chapter 1, and the first three verses of chapter 3. That they're very similar, except there's one important detail. The response of the person in the story is different in those two examples. And so we're going we're gonna to look at Jonah chapter 1 first. I'm going to show you those verses. And then we're going to look at Jonah chapter 3, the first three verses, and see the similarities between the two. But there's, again, an important, significant difference. Jonah chapter 1, beginning verse 1. The Lord gave uh, this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. Verse 3. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Now, if you don't know the story of Jonah, God doesn't just let Jonah run away. He actually pursues Jonah and follows Jonah. He sends a storm to Jonah. He sends some sailors to Jonah, and, and he sends a great fish. And basically, God is pursuing Jonah. He doesn't want him to run away from him. Uh, now, a quick side note about that fish part. I, I don't think you have to, if you sort of know the overarching story of Jonah, I don't think you have to believe uh, literally that Jonah was swallowed by a fish to get the point of what we're going to talk about today. So if that's kind of a big hang-up for you, I get it. Um, but there is an important point that I think you can take away from that, even if you don't, uh, aren't able to quite go that far. Um, either way, um, God does all this stuff to get Jonah back to himself and to bring Jonah back to following him. So that happens in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, in between this, Jonah prays this amazing prayer where he sort of realizes and remembers who God actually is. That God is this great God, and he wants to have a relationship with him, and he's a very important part of Jonah's life. He should be a very important part of Jonah's life. And then we get to chapter 3. Now, again, notice the similarities between chapter 1 and chapter 3. Okay. Here we go, verse 1 of chapter 3. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. Now, this is the key part, obviously. Verse 3. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh. So chapter one, we have this moment where Jonah hears the command of God, 
But then he literally goes in the opposite direction. God told him to go this way. He goes the opposite way, away from where God wants him to go. And he attempts to run away from God. Verse chapter 3, we have Jonah hears that same command to go to Nineveh. But instead, this time, he goes towards and obeys God and goes where he's supposed to go. So back to verse 1 for a second. We're going to look at chapter 3 and chapter 4 real quick and kind of go through this a little bit. Um, Verse 1 of chapter 3, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. That the story of Jonah doesn't end with God sort of saying, okay, Jonah, well, I rescued you. Um, I know you sort of went the opposite way from me, but I rescued you. Now, Jonah, I just want you to go home. Like, I'm not going to use you anymore, Jonah, because you've been such an embarrassment. You didn't do what I wanted you to do. You disobeyed me. So, Jonah, just go ahead and go home, and I'm going to find somebody else to send this message to Nineveh. Because sometimes we feel that, don't we? We feel like that's what God has said to us at times, or we, we sort of internalize that and think, like, God can't use me anymore. But with the story of Jonah, it's not that way. That's not what God says to Jonah the second time. He doesn't say, just go home, Jonah, I'm not going to use you. He actually still invites Jonah into this mission of what he wants to do and to help rescue these people in Nineveh. He says, I'm going to give you another chance, even though you disobeyed me the first time. And actually, I'm going to use you as an example of somebody who disobeyed me and how I can rescue you. I rescued you and I can rescue these people. I want you to speak for me because you messed up. It's not that I don't want you to speak because you messed up. I actually want you to speak for me because you messed up. And I want you to show these people that I offer second chances. And basically, God doesn't just sort of wash his hands of Jonah and just move on from Jonah. God still wants to use Jonah and use him to send this message to the people of Nineveh. And I think he looks at us sometimes and reminds us that God still wants to use you, even in spite of the way you may look at your life and say, oh yeah, I've got all these mistakes in my past. Or yeah, I'm looking at my life right now and I feel distant from you, God. I'm not so sure that how close I am to you, God. Or yeah, I know how much I need to add these things in my life or I need to get rid of some of these things in my life. And I'm just not so sure that you can use me right now. Maybe in the future when I get my life together. But I think the message that God would tell most of us, if not all of us, is I still want to use you. I still want to have a relationship with you first. But I also want to help use you to help impact the world around you. That no matter what your life has looked like up to this point, no matter how many times you've walked away from me, no matter how unhealthy your soul might have been, I still want to use you and I still invite you to be in a relationship with me. Now, we don't know exactly what Jonah thought right after chapter 2, but I think it's very likely and very easily to sort of jump to the conclusion that he would think some of those things that, yeah, I'm not so sure God could use me still. I'm thankful to be on this beach, but, you know, I don't know how God could actually continue to use me. And Jonah might have wanted to sort of just go home after all that he went through, and yet God still invites him to this uh, this mission opportunity. Verse 2, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given to you. Now, if you don't know, Jonah is from Israel, and uh, Nineveh is actually a part of Syria, which is an enemy of Israel. And so Jonah is being told to, to go to Nineveh. And Nineveh is just a place of some fierce warriors, some people who don't necessarily take prisoners. They just kill you. Um, they're, they're, they're kind of people that are basically the most vicious people in that area at that time. And they're led by a king who was one of the most vicious kings of that time. And God is telling Jonah, part of the enemy group, to go to Nineveh and to give this message. So in Jonah's, you know, in that situation, you got to imagine Jonah would be a little bit hesitant. Most of us would be a little bit hesitant to go to our enemies who are very vicious people and, and share the message. But as we're going to see, there's something probably else 
in Jonah's mind that got in the way of him actually wanting to share this message. We'll get to that in a second. Verse 3. This time Jonah, though, obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. And as we're going to see in this time period, this was a big city of about 120,000 people, which is a big city again back in ancient times. Um, and it took three days for him to go around it. Verse 4. On that day, on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Now, we might imagine in our modern times, like, yeah, that's not going to work very well. We sort of imagine the people with the cardboard signs or preaching on the street corners in the city, and we just think, I don't know if that's really going to connect with people. But interestingly, in this time, in this situation, it does connect with the people, and it does, it does speak to them, and something strange happens. Verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God's message. Now, interestingly, they didn't necessarily believe Jonah's message. We don't know if there's maybe an important distinction there, but they did believe God's message through Jonah. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. That all these various different types of people put on this burlap as a sort of a symbol, a sign of their repentance, of humbling themselves before God. And God's message was bringing revival, was bringing new life to the city that had been in a very dark place, that they had done some very violent and dark things. And Jonah um, probably wasn't the only person, though, who would look at this and say, there's just no way. Like, there's no way that those people over there are going to respond. And, and he probably had a lot of doubts, no doubt. I think we would have some doubts. And yet, God rescues these people. And then even something more surprising happens in verse 6. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robe, he dressed himself in burlap, and sat in a heap of ashes. And so that verse before we talked about the greatest to least did this. This is the example of the greatest. The king is the one who's sort of setting an example in his city of he's not, he's not immune from it. He's going he's gonna to put himself in the same situation where he's not approaching God as king. He's trying to approach God as a normal person before God, before this God that Jonas told him about. Verse 7, Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. And interestingly, the king is not just declaring a fast for the people. He's declaring a fast for all the animals, which is kind of an interesting thing that we'll, we'll continue on with the theme in a little bit uh, in, in the next chapter. Verse 8. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Verse 9. Who can tell? Perhaps yet God will, exchange, will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And this is actually a really powerful and really beautiful example of what repentance is. We sort of say that word, but it's an example of repentance that God has sort of turned around in a different direction and stopped, uh, or that the people rather have turned away in a different direction and turned away from their sin and themselves and turned towards God. And because this king is really not saying that we're going to do this and turn away from our sin if God saves us, and if God does these lists of things that we want God to do for us, he's saying we're going to turn away from our sin and turn away from our violence even if God doesn't save us, and even if God still does destroy us. And while well, obviously he hopes that they don't, but he, they're saying I'm gonna, we're going to not do this sin, we're not going to do this evil anymore. And at this point, I think you have to think that Jonah was shocked, right? Jonah, if I was Jonah, I would have been shocked that, that God's message could impact these people so immensely in this moment. Like, it worked. Like, they don't even know me. I'm actually from another, like, neighboring enemy, and, and somehow I'm able to convince them to follow my God, the, not even the God they follow. They're following my God and what my God has told them to do, and he's going to judge them for their sin, and he's going to help change them? Like, 
The king has humbled himself, and he's even involved in this. He's even on board with this. It's sort of unbelievable. And as unbelievable as it may sound, and as quickly as this all seems to sort of come together, um, I, there actually were a few things that were working sort of behind the scenes. And we would suggest that God was sort of working behind the scenes. There's a few things that sort of happened in this region that probably set up Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, to hear God's message. The first is that there was a total solar eclipse about this time in this part of the world, which in this time of the world, um, you just didn't know what solar eclipses were and why they were happening. It just all of a sudden things went dark, right? And how does this happen? And it was sort of a bad omen in their time period. It was sort of a, a sign of something bad happening. And so obviously the people knew about this, this solar eclipse. Um, also about the same time, there was a few different groups of enemies that sort of had bounded together to make this one band of invaders who were slowly sort of taking over some of the small towns and they would basically take over one small town, move to the next small town. And they were heading down towards Nineveh. And so the city of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh know that these enemies are coming and that there's likely sort of gonna be this, this conflict happening. And then something happens that I've sort of looked past, and I think many of us have sort of looked past because we hadn't experienced this, but because we have sort of experienced this a little bit since 2020, um, there were probably two plagues that went through their city. Now, it might have been what we know now. Maybe it was just one spike, <laughs> and then it went down, and then the same, same virus or whatever spiked again. But they had this plague that ripped through their city and killed hundreds, if not thousands, of people. And so just like us, we sort of sit up straight and pay attention like when those things kind of happen. And so the city of Nineveh went through these things and had these things sort of happening in the background and God's sort of working behind the scenes to maybe help prepare the message, to prepare the people rather, to hear his message. And so by the time God, uh, Jonah showed up, these people were maybe paying attention, like the world might actually end, as Jonah says. And this guy comes in and this lunatic, you know, might see him as a lunatic. And whether or not he was actually in the belly of the fish, if he was, his skin's probably all bleached from the acid in the stomach, and he's coming in and saying, the world's gonna end. God's gonna judge you. You need to change your life. You need to change your ways. And so the people have seen all these other things happening. They see this messenger coming, and they respond. And so maybe God's sort of working behind the scenes. And some of us, maybe that's the point that we need to remember, that God is working behind the scenes to prepare people's hearts for his message. That there are people that you and I know that we sort of look at and we think like, I could never talk to them about God, right? I, I could never talk to them because they just have this image. They just have this perception that, um, you know, they, they don't want anything to do with God. They don't want anything to do with faith. They don't want anything to do with organized religion. They look so happy, maybe. They look so content. They don't necessarily look like they need anything. They don't look like they need God. And yet we need to be reminded that this mission that God has us on, many times it's not just us working. In fact, it's rarely, if ever, us just working that God is working behind the scenes to prepare those people to hear the message that God might want to say through us. And sometimes we get in the focus of, well, yeah, I got to share this message, but we forget that there's like a, an army, and, and not necessarily to use the combat analogy, but there's a, there's a group of, of God's messengers already maybe working on this person's heart, that God himself is already working behind the scenes to help prepare the people to hear the message. But sometimes... We get in the way, don't we? And sometimes the health of our souls gets in the way of us actually sharing the message that God would have us to share. And yet, we need to remember and we need to understand and we need to be reminded at times that God is still working behind the scenes. And maybe for some of us, we can look at our own story and think, yeah, like there was a season in my life where I would not have been open to the message of Jesus 
Um, but then all of a sudden, God was sort of working in my life, and this sort of thing happened. My money thing happened. My work thing happened. My family thing happened. And, and all of a sudden, then that person came, and they shared the message of Jesus with me. And, and if they didn't, I, I wouldn't have necessarily known what to make of all those things, but then they did. And, and now I see that God was actually working behind the scenes. And so some of us maybe need to, to hear that today, that we know that God is working behind the scenes in our lives and in other people's lives. Okay, continuing on. So, so Jonah gets his second chance. He goes and shares this message with the Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh responds. They're very open to it. They stop doing their evil. They acknowledge God. And then verse 10, when God saw what they had done uh, and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. And when it says changed his mind, another way to say this is compassion. He, he had compassion on the city of Nineveh. And this word actually also includes the idea of repenting, that God actually sort of repented, that God had one direction and he sort of changed directions and changed his mind and went in the opposite direction to not destroy the city, to which we would sort of celebrate with Jonah and be like, Jonah, good job. Like you were a part of God doing something amazing and rescuing people. You were a part of rescuing and saving people, which is a good thing. But the story doesn't end there. And again, this is where we sort of have the, the condition of our hearts, the condition of our souls that takes over. So the story sort of takes a strange twist after this. And I think, again, God sort of puts a spotlight on the condition of our hearts and the health of our souls. Um, verse, verse 1 of chapter 4. This change of plans, the change of plans that God saved the people of Nineveh and didn't destroy them, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. To which we all might like say, like, like, time out, Jonah. Like, hold on a second. Like, you were a part of rescuing people, and now you're angry about that? You're angry that God actually rescued these people? Verse 2, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. So we sort of flash back to that chapter one of all of a sudden he's running away from God when God tells him to go to Nineveh. And he's saying that part of what was in his mind and part of sort of his conversation with God, if you will, was saying, yeah, you're going to rescue these people, God, and I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want them to be rescued, maybe. Or, or maybe I don't want to be, I don't want to tell them one thing's going to happen and then that doesn't happen or, or whatever the thing is. But basically he doesn't, he knows that God's going to rescue the people and he doesn't want to be a part of that. And it seems that Jonah sort of runs away initially because he's afraid of the Ninevites, right? Like we said, that these are fierce people. These are violent people. Like, why would you want to go and tell them? Not only that, you're enemies with them and they have a different God than you and you're going to go tell them that God's going to judge them. And it just, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense on the front. You'd be afraid of them. But it doesn't seem like God's, or Jonah's actually afraid of the Ninevites. He was afraid that God would act like God. And this is an interesting point as it sort of relates to the condition of our souls that Jonah had good insight into the character of God. He had good theology. He had sound theology. But that wasn't enough in and of itself in this situation. There was something unhealthy in his soul that led him to sort of get angry. Not sort of. He did get angry about rescuing, about God rescuing the people of Nineveh. And the fact that God was giving them a second chance, which, as we're going to see, is incredibly ironic, right, given the story of Jonah. And if you're wondering what God has looked like, if you ever wonder what God, has look, look, what God looks like, you should look at Jesus first, because Jesus is the exact image and picture of what God is like. But in this story of Jonah, Jonah says this amazing sort of sentence, this statement about who God is, and he says it at a point when he's actually angry at God for rescuing the people of Nineveh. But he gives us this powerful statement that we're going to look at here. Um, uh, continuing on verse 2. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, 
slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Like, I knew that's what kind of God you are. You're loving, you're merciful, you're compassionate. You, you're a God who gives people second chances. And I can't believe that you're that way, basically, is what Jonah's saying to God. Look what you've done. And you might hear, and we might sort of think, like, wow, like, Jonah, like, you need to go get some counseling. Like, why are you so upset about this? Like, you are pretty unhealthy at this point, right? And it's easy for us to spot in Jonah something unhealthy, right? This is not a healthy situation that Jonah's in right now. He's not in a healthy state of mind or a healthy soul. He's just not healthy right now. And it's easy for us to spot this in Jonah, but I wonder if there might be a little bit more of Jonah in us than we might admit to. Verse 3, Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And there's something big happening here that I want to sort of pause and focus on for a second. He is more concerned with being right than having compassion for others. I want to repeat that because I think this might be the point that I need to take away from this. Maybe not you, but this is the one for me. He is more concerned with being right about what he says actually being right than having compassion for other people. And I wonder in this highly charged, polarized world that we're living in right now, if that's not the case for many of us on both sides of almost every issue. Again, this is easy to spot in Jonah, but I wonder if we should take some time to reflect and let God speak to our own hearts and examine our own hearts. Are you more concerned with being right than having compassion for those across the political spectrum from you? Are you more concerned with being right than having compassion for those who see that freedom issue, whatever that freedom issue is, because there's freedom issues all over the place that both sides have different opinions on. Are you more concerned about being right about that one issue than you are about having compassion for those who have a different view of that issue than you do? Are you more concerned about being right than having compassion for those who agree or disagree with the most recent Supreme Court decision? decision? Whatever that is, fill in the blank. Are you more concerned with being right than having compassion for people who are hurting? Even if you don't know they're hurting, and on the outside they may seem like they have their life together. But are you more concerned with being right than having compassion for them? Uh, moving on, we, Jonah, or God rather, says something that we would expect God to say to Jonah after Jonah says this. Uh, the Lord replied in verse 4, Is it right for you to be angry about this? <laughs> Which is sort of this interesting question. He says, are you, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Now, I want to focus on the you in this, in this phrase. That basically, Jonah, yeah, you're right. Like, that is sort of who I am. That is what's happening. That's who, that is who I am. I'm a God that's gracious and compassionate. I'm slow to anger. You're, you're right about that. And you know that because I've showed similar compassion to you, Jonah. I've shown compassion to you even when you disobeyed me. And that's why we're even here today, because I rescued you, Jonah, and I gave you a second chance. So do you, Jonah, actually have the right to be angry about this? Like, do you actually have the right to be angry about this? Is it even right for you to be angry about this? How can you be angry about how I apply my compassion, God would say? How can you be angry about how I love and give people second chances? Verse 5, Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. Verse 6, And the Lord, had, Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort. He got a little bit more comfortable, you might say. And Jonah was very grateful 
for the plant. Verse 7, but God also arranged for a worm. And the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot and God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah, the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and again wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. That basically God is arranging and providing things because God is always arranging and providing things. Verse 9, then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? And I think God's trying to say, like, Jonah, I'm trying to teach you something through this. This is not just happening uh, by itself for no reason. There's a purpose behind this. I'm trying to teach you something, Jonah. And earlier I asked you if it was right to be, to be angry about me being compassionate to the Ninevites. And now you're angry because a plant died, a plant that you didn't even plant, that you didn't even help make grow. And you're not even angry about these people, all these people, these 120,000 people, when they might die. But you're angry about a plant that might die. Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Now, verse 10 in another translation says this, but the Lord, the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. That you have been more concerned with something that I brought you, and then it came and it went away, and it was temporary. And it brought you a little bit of comfort. And I think that's the key word here, comfort, that it brings us comfort. And when we have our comfort, we're more concerned with our comfort at times. And we're more concerned, Jonah would say, that you're more concerned with this plant dying than you are about the people in Nineveh. Verse 11, and, I sh and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? And then he also says this, this interesting phrase, and also many animals. And, and I wonder if it's sort of God sort of making a little statement or trying to make a point with Jonah. Jonah, you say you're more concerned about plants and like creation and that kind of thing. Well, you're not even concerned about the animals in the city. I, I'm not sure exactly, but he kind of throws that in there basically to say, yeah, Jonah, you're not concerned with the same things that I'm concerned with. Con uh, looking at that first part of that verse, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh. And this is where, again, I think it sort of focuses in on some of us and some of our hearts, and the light shines a little bit too much on some parts of our hearts and our souls, and maybe for some of you, that Jonah, you're concerned with the wrong things, that should I not be concerned with this city rather than this plant? Shouldn't I be concerned with these people? You're more concerned that they're not getting what they deserve, which would be judgment in this moment. And you're more concerned with what you think you deserve, comfort. He thinks he deserves this comfort of this plant. He's more concerned with other people getting judgment than he is, and he's actually more concerned about his own comfort in his life. And Jonah, do you know what I'm concerned about? And I think Jonah, God's trying to say to Jonah that I have concern about these people. I don't want them to get what they deserve. They deserve judgment. I've already said that. I've already declared that. I've told you to declare that. They deserve judgment, but I'm more concerned about them not getting what they deserve than I am concerned about you getting this comfort and this, this life that you're hoping to have. And the reason that God sent Jonah to Nineveh was because he was concerned about the city. And Jonah is not necessarily concerned about the city. He's, he's sort of concerned about his own little world and his own little bubble. And so kind of our point for today that we're going to kind of wrap up this message is that healthy souls are concerned about what God is concerned about. That when we're in a healthy state, we sort of have this one-track mind that God has. That we sort of follow what he's saying and doing what he's doing rather than sort of having a completely different concern about this world and about this, this life that we have. And God is concerned about offering second chances to us, but he's also concerned about us offering second chances 
to other people as well. And so how does this story relate to you? A couple quick things that we're going to talk about. Number one, we need second chances from God and we need second chances from others. We need to understand that just sort of going into things that to have a healthy sense of, of, of life and of our souls, that we need to know that we need second chances from God. We do. We need those. And thankfully, God offers those to us. He, he grants second chances to us. Even when we disregard what God's best is for us, even when we disregard and, and, and just ignore God's uh, direction and guidance for us, even when we take steps that lead us away from health, and, and God wants to lead us towards health, and even when we take steps away from health, God still pursues us and offers us second chances. So let me pause and ask you a question. Have you accepted God's offer of a second chance? Like, literally, have you accepted that opportunity? Not just knowing about it, not just knowing that God offers second chances, but have you accepted that? And for some of us, we need to do that sort of regularly. And second, third, fourth, fifth chances, right? And that's, that's what God wants for us. He wants us to continue to accept his offer of grace, his offer of another chance. Uh, the second thing that I think this story relates to us is that we have a mission to tell others about God's second chances. And the key word is others. We need to tell others about this message of second chances. That just like Jonah, you and I have a message to go and tell people about the second chances that God has offered us. And we get an opportunity to participate in this, this mission, to go and help other people. But if we're not careful, that mission that we have, while we can go and pursue it, and there's, unfortunately, there's been pastors that go and pursue it. There's been um, just lay people in the church. There's been important church leaders that have gone and pursue it. But when they have an unhealthy soul, when there's something unhealthy inside them, even if you're pursuing that mission, we can look like Jonah at times and get upset when God actually rescues the people that we've been telling the second chances about. And so God wants us to be ready and to, to be prepared and to, to have a healthy soul that, so we can go and tell other people about his, his second chances that he offers. Uh, the mission that we have that we're talking about here is obviously from Matthew ch chapter 28. It's sort of an updated version from maybe what Jonah heard, but it's very similar. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given all authority in heaven on earth. I've been given all authority in heaven on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That God has already given us this mission, and, and many of us have already experienced, right? We've already experienced God's work in our life, that just as God rescued Jonah from the consequences of his disobedience, God has rescued many of us from the consequences of our disobedience. And just as God has been good and gracious to Jonah, many of us know that God has been good and gracious to us as well. And God has given us the same mission as Jonah to go and help tell people and to go help rescue people from the consequences of their sin and their, and their disobedience and to declare the goodness of God, a God who gives second chances. And if you think that you can't make an impact because you're sort of this broken messenger, uh, I want to just make sure you understand that that's not a, a message that God wants you to hear. That God wants you to hear that he only uses broken messengers. Other than Jesus, he only uses broken messengers to go and tell his message of second chances.